Hallelujah. I'm Brother Lucas. I'm uh, a.k.a. the coffee guy, the waffle guy, the internet guy, the computer guy, the PowerPoint guy, (laughs) you know, and now the sermon guy. So, yeah, you all bow with me. Father Yahweh, we come before you on your beautiful Feast of Tabernacles, Father. We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together to fellowship with brethren of like faith and like mind to sharpen each other's sword. Iron sharpens iron, Father, and we pray that we are able to hone our, our knowledge, our understanding, our wisdom of you, Father, and we pray that you impart your spirit upon us. And I pray that everything that is good and pleasant and true, let it sink into the hearts of those hearing. And I pray that anything that is not of you, Father, just go unnoticed. And I pray that you be with me as I give this, give this message to your people, Father, that your words be spoken. And I thank you for all things in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. So, running on about three hours of sleep. So. <laughs> and about two plates worth of biscuits and gravy, which were incredible this morning, by the way. Thank you, Brother Chris. So, a shadow of things to come. I'm going to talk to everybody about the feast. Surprise, surprise, right? Specifically, the Feast of Tabernacles. An even bigger surprise. <laughs> but I think that it's worth, I think it's worth talking about. The Feast of Ingathering, Sukkot. It's a wonderful time. We're all having a pretty good time, I'm assuming. And we have seven and eight, if you include the last great day, of fun, food, worship, fellowship, and just lifelong memories that we make with each other. But what's it all for? Why do we do it? Why are we here right now? I'm going to start in Leviticus 23, verse 1. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy, holy convocations, these are my feasts. Big wall of text. Here we go. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be called the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days to Yahweh. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of Yahweh which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of Yahweh, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to Yahweh. Also, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you shall have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feasts of Yahweh for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the first, few, first fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before Yahweh, your Elohim, for seven days. That doesn't seem too complicated. You shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh for seven days in the year, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Now, when I read this, it's, it, it, it comes across as a, just a little dry, right? It, it's, it's like a, 
It's like when you're in school and you read about the cool science experiment versus doing the cool science experiment. You know, you read about, you know, the, the baking soda volcano. If you read about it, it's like, eh, you know, wow, that's, real, that's really interesting, I guess. But then you like, put your hands on it and you do it, and it's just like, it blows your mind as a kid, right? The payoff is infinitely better when you're doing this hands-on. I mean, if I read that to somebody and says, doesn't that sound great? <laughs> They'd be like, I guess, you know. It's one of those things where you have to kind of experience it for yourself, I just don't think that it does, it does Yahweh's feast justice. And I think that he does that on purpose because he's always been a hands-on teacher. All throughout scripture, Yahweh's very, very hands-on. Many people read the text and it's one in, in one ear and out the other. I mean, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. They've never done this experiment on their own, so they never get to see the fruits and the blessings that come with doing it yourself. It's like being shown a blueprint. Uh, Brother Chris, biscuit man, ought to know this one as well. A blueprint for your dream house, right? Imagine you have the blueprint for your dream house, and a master builder says, you know what, I'm going to build this for you, and I'm going to do it for free. And you say, no thanks. You, never, you, don't even, you give up on it before you even get started on the blueprint. You know what I mean? You have this amazing thing in front of you, something to be built, and you give on it before he even starts. The law and by extension, the feasts are exactly the same. They're synonymous. You can't remove one from the other. I'm told over and over again working for the ministry that the Messiah did away with all these burdensome regulations like the Feast of Tabernacles. Satan has the world convinced that what you've been experiencing for the last three days is a bad thing. Think about that. This, the, what we just had, the, the, the teaching on evangelism, the food, the fellowship we've had for the last three days is a burden. That is the most nonsensical thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> the sentiment is very common. It's a very common thing, and it only makes sense when someone has never observed or experienced the feast. I know there are people out here whom this is their first feast, and I pray it won't be your last. They read Yahweh's word and they see that textbook explanation that I just read. And they have no idea what they're throwing away. They have no clue. They have no idea the, the depth and the profoundness of the beauty and blessings that come with the feast. And they throw it all away. They have no idea. And I think that Michael's, uh, Brother Michael's explanation on evangelism, it's extremely important. Because these are blessings that we're called to bring people into. We have to share things like this, what we're doing now with the world. That's what you evangelize, the kingdom of Yahweh. And that's what this feast is all about. It's one of the many things that makes us unique and makes us different. We're doers of the word. A lot of different faiths around the world, they, they have one little nugget that's technically correct. And they cling to that thing. They cling to that one thing they get right and they throw out everything else. But the key is you got to get it all right. you got to do all of it. You can't just do the Sabbath. You can't just do the feast. You can't just eat clean and live your life like a sleazebag. It's not how it works. There are blessings to be had in reading and hearing the word, but those blessings are twofold when you become doers as well as hearers of the word. James 1, verses 21 through 25 
Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For when he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, will be one blessed in what he does. And so a lot of the world, imagine a lot of the world, they get up in the morning, they see their face, and they walk away, and they forget it. Scripture says right here that if you, hearing is not enough. Hearing is not enough. It's never been enough. If hearing was enough, it was half, of the, half of the population wouldn't have got swallowed up in the earth at Sinai. If hearing was enough. We all love the feasts. We all look forward to these days. But Tabernacles is unique. Tabernacles is very unique. Not in its, necessarily in its importance. They're all equally important. But in its, more in its meaning. What it represents. We're experiencing a small fraction of the kingdom to come. What it will be like. I don't think we're going to have... Biscuits and gravy in the kingdom. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm assuming probably not. But I, I, I think that this feast is unique in that it, it does show us a glimpse of the future. A glimpse of the future. A glimpse of what it can be like for Yahweh's people. And I think that, that spirit, the feeling in the air when you wake up and you see the brethren every morning. Like how good is it to wake up from your sleep and realize that you're not dealing with the world anymore. You're here with people who believe just like you do, who are worshiping the same creator you do, using his name. You don't have to worry about the titles. You don't have to worry about the world, the sin, any of it. It's all, it's all temporarily stayed. How good is that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you have that to look forward to? The deep spiritual conversations that you have with people around the little campfire, up at the swings, sitting here in the fellowship hall, right here. The studies, the workshops, the sense of peace that comes with knowing that tomorrow you get to do it all over again. And also that kind of sense of sorrow we all have when it comes to an end. And if this is your first feast... Enjoy it. Because it's over so fast. I've been doing this since I was nine years old, and it never gets any easier. These things are unique to the Feast of Tabernacles. I remember as a kid just losing myself in the feast. It was like, and it was gone. My family, we went head first into the feast. It was like two months prior, it was nothing but feast prep. We buy a new tarp every year because the last one would inevitably get trashed from a storm or whatever, us pulling on it. We had a giant blue tarp. It was an 80-foot by 40-foot blue tarp. And there was probably a dozen tents under there. We called it Cecil City. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> Dad would pull out the backhoe, and he'd pull a 15-foot trench, 15-foot by five-foot trench for the fire pit. Mom would have a cauldron of chili 
cooking, the whole feast, adding to it all the time. And these are things that stick out in my mind. Just, I, there's no bad memories. It's only good memories. And I can tell you there were some times it's like I'm waking up at 3 in the morning and these tarps are blowing around, the wind's blowing, the rain's coming down, and I'm out there hanging on for dear life. This thing's about to carry me away. But it was still, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was incredible. And it was just, you know, every year, something disaster would befall Cecil City. It would get leveled every year. We kept putting it back up. But we never dealt with these things alone. I mean, even at like 3 in the morning, when I'm hanging on for dear life, there were brethren that would come running from their tents, and they'd come and hold Cecil City down with us. They'd be getting soaked. They'd be hanging on for dear life. We never had to do it alone because we were with the brethren. It's always a team effort. And his brother Javon said, or I think it was Jose said, many hands make light work. We were always met on, met with willing, helpful people. And after the feast is over, you don't have that so much anymore. <laughs> How many of you are hanging on for dear life, blowing around, and you don't have anybody there to help hold it down? It's got to be interesting for Yahweh to watch. He sees his toil away, preparing for the feast. I mean, around here, it was absolute insanity, getting ready for the feast. We were, everything was just being torn apart like two weeks before the feast. Like, what were we thinking? <laughs> it happens every year. But he's got to look, think about it. He's got to be up, he's got to be looking down on his people, toiling away at the feast, preparing, working, coming together, singing and praising. And he's got to be thinking, just wait until they see what's coming. We all love the late nights. The wee hours of the morning, which there's been a couple for me already. The talks, the great things, our favorite scriptures, just soaking up every second. Because it's all over in a flash. Everything ends, and inevitably we stand around singing, Yabi with you, and it looks like we're all at a funeral. <laughs> and it does, too. I mean, it's because everybody knows. But ask any one of them, even after singing Yabi with you, if they're ready to go home. Ask any of them. The answer is almost always, I don't want to go home. <laughs> and if it is, talk to Randy. <laughs> if you want to go home, talk to Randy. But um, the point in all this is that we're only getting a glimpse of the things to come. We can see the kingdom all around us in each other, in the worship, in the spirit of Yahweh dwelling in his people. But this is nothing. All of that, everything I just said is nothing. It's a bump in the road. A road that is infinitely long. And ultimately, it's vanity. Ecclesiastes 1, 3 through 4. What profit has a man from all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place which it arose. The feast is beautiful, and it is wonderful. And I would never miss another one my entire life. But it's a shadow. Let no man judge you, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Messiah. Now this, 
we won't get into the Sabbath debate on what this verse means, but I want to focus on a shadow of things to come. Something has to be to make a shadow. Shadows are by definition two-dimensional. You can get a general idea of something by looking at its shadow. Like if you see a shadow of a man or a woman, you might be able to discern whether it's a man or a woman from their body shape or their hair, but you have no idea who that person is. You don't know anything about them. You know that it's a person, but that's about it. It's often misrepresented. Think about the times when you were a child and you're laying in your bed and you're like, you think you saw something. That pile of laundry becomes very spooky in the corner, right? It's, it's nothing there, but it's a shadow and you're like, oh, you don't know what that is. And it's, it's frightening. It's unknown. Or maybe like the classic movies when there's like a kid in bed and like the tree scratching on the window looks like a hand. Obviously, it's not a hand. It's just, it's a shadow. You don't, know what it, you don't know what it means. We're limited in our understanding and our wisdom and knowledge of what the kingdom will be like. This is a shadow of the kingdom to come, but it's just that. It's only a shadow. It's a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional object. We cannot fathom what the kingdom is actually going to be like. We love the Feast of Tabernacles here. And I'm assuming you all do too. You're here. It's a wonderful, beautiful time of like-minded believers who genuinely love and want to serve Yahweh. So if this is only a two-dimensional representation of the coming kingdom, can we truly understand what Yahweh has in store? Imagine that feeling you have that I spoke of, waking up, Knowing it's the feast, waking up and knowing there are brethren that are going to be there. Spend the entire day with them, laughing, singing, eating, praising, worshiping. And imagine those spirit-filled moments around the campfire, speaking deep truths, powerful witnesses like... uh, brother bishop shared with us imagine that never ending imagine it being so much more than you can comprehend (laughs) sorry (laughs) it gets me I can't wait. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> First Corinthians two nine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which Elohim has prepared for those. <laughs> Didn't see this coming. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the lack of sleep. Uh, Okay. When we evangelize, we're not just waking people up. To the traditions and the fallacies and the just lies of modern religion. As Brother uh, Bishop said this morning, 
this is an RSVP ticket to the kingdom. And they just have to take it. Luke 14, 21 through 24. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now notice he didn't say door to door, did he, Michael? <laughs> go to the streets. Go to where the people are. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you command. And there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. So we have absolutely nothing to lose by witnessing to these people. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. So you invite somebody. So you, bring, you, you want to bring somebody to the feast. And they say, ooh, no thanks. There's no skin off your teeth for that. Just go. It doesn't matter. Brush the dust off your feet and move on. He always made room in his kingdom for everyone who will accept the invitation. That's the key. Imagine going to a, imagine going to a job interview. And the ad said, supremely high standards must be met. So you go in and during the interview, the boss tells you, hey, the guy that was supposed to show up for the job, he rejected it. So I'm going to open up the position for anyone willing to do the work. Oh, and by the way, an extra perk of the job, the supervisor is going to step in and takes off some of the slack when you mess up. So you just have to perform your best. I'm going to need you to bring in as many new people as you possibly can to work. Oh, and the job comes with an excellent retirement plan as well. So, I mean, think about that. Yahweh has jobs available, if you will. Whether you've been in this your entire life or this is your first feast, it doesn't matter. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the early morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them to his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Well, nobody, because nobody hired us. He said to them, you also go to the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last of the first. And those, when those who uh, came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And likewise, each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you, to, 
I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. I'm really glad Brother Michael gave his uh, talk today. Because you saw all kinds of people in the little slideshow he had. Men, women from all walks of life. Different, different folks, some working, some sitting, some shopping, some walking, fishing. We don't get to be picky with who Yahweh calls. That's above our pay grade. We don't get to do that. We've had big feasts. We've had small feasts. And when it's small, it isn't big enough. And when it's too big, it's not enough time. In the kingdom, this isn't going to be an issue. We just have to gather as many of Yahweh's people as we possibly can. And I feel like it's kind of apropos that he gave his, his workshop this morning on this. It's not like we're asking them to, like, sign over ownership of their house. I mean, this is not a burden. I think we would all agree this is a good thing, and we just want more people to come to it. That's all Yahweh wants. For them to turn their lives over to him. This world and its wickedness and its woes are no match for Yahweh and his kingdom. Everything we see on the news and Twitter and YouTube, it's all transitory and it's fading away and it's fading fast. We, the, the window of opportunity we have is closing. I know many of you came here through YRM's online outreach, but our opportunity, that window, the doors are closing And the virgins are going to have to have their wicks trimmed and their oil filled because there's going to come a time when the doors will shut. I pray that Yahweh continues to bless all of you with a great feast. This is a rare glimpse of the kingdom and of Yahweh. And I think we're blessed to even know about it. Much of the word has fallen To the belief that this, again, that this is a bad thing. I was told that all of this was nailed to the tree. That this is no longer necessary. Ask yourself, who benefits from this going away? Who benefits from a lawless society? It's not us. It's not Yahweh, that's for sure. The feast, it seems long. You tell people, (laughs) I've got to take off for a week. I'm going to a uh, I'm going to a religious event. They're going to look at you like your head screwed on backwards. They're going to be like, "What a week long!" We're like, "What? Oh my goodness! Is it like a camp? Well, kind of." But I mean, eight days is such a short time. It's such a short time. Enjoy the time you have with each other. Sit down and talk with some new people. Sit down and eat some biscuits and gravy with some new people. Some waffles. Definitely some waffles. <laughs> it's not long enough. And I pray that uh, the remainder of our feast is a blessed one. We got some great people here. Nice big group. But it is all just a shadow of things to come. May Yahweh bless.